Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. At the eighth mile, she's leading Bowbunder at the finish line stripe. It's Cameron Caruso for the first time, 6.592. On this episode, we're joined by Eddie Krawick of Vance and Hines Racing, as well as senior editor of National Dragster, Kevin McKenna. And there goes Gage Herrera. Vinny, Vini, Vici. He came, he saw, he conquered. We're talking Pro Stock Motorcycle off-season preparation and big news in 2024. Chad Green's out first by a bunch. They get to the finish line, strike, and it's Chad Green. 391.6 on a whole shot, a 33 line. This is the NHRA Insider. End of the night they go, and the wind light comes off for Doug Collada. 367.3, 334 miles an hour. Hey everybody, it's Brian Loans here with the NHRA Insider Podcast. Welcome to our next off-season show. Today's going to be a good one. We're talking primarily about Pro Stock Motorcycle. Of course, Eddie Krawick made, made big news last week. And what's kind of funny is I was assuming that the news that he was going to make would break this week, as I teased it at the end of last week's show, as it was basically being announced by the team. So uh, we're going to catch up with Eddie, talk a lot about the reasons he has stepped off of the seat, what his plans are for 24, the addition of Richard Gadsden to the Vance and Hines crew of riders, and really the philosophy behind putting Richard on the motorcycle. Then we're going to catch up with Kevin McKenna, who's the senior editor of NHRA's National Dragster magazine, to talk about what he's been hearing, not only in Pro Stock Motorcycle, but around the ranks of NHRA Mission Foods drag racing as we get ready for 2024. I think this is going to be a fun show and certainly one that um, continues to kind of feed this idea of an offseason that has kind of settled out. After the Vance and Hines news, uh, things have gotten pretty quiet. Now, um, I might have mentioned this on last week's show if I failed to do so. I'm going to bring it up now. Uh, some rumors, if you will, that were going on positive uh, in the week since we made our last show is that uh, Trip Tatum. Uh, looking forward to seeing him apparently at Gainesville. They're in full swing at his race shop, preparing his top fuel dragster to come back into action. Of course, Trip uh, won Gainesville just a couple of years ago in dramatic fashion. Was an incredible moment for him, and uh, cannot wait to see what his plans are for 2024. Another piece of news that we have heard. Not 100% locked in and confirmed, but I have it on good authority that Billy Torrance is planning on running the majority of top fuel races this year. Uh, This is a big piece of news, not just because Billy's a great racer, and that is obviously a competitive car out of the Capco camp, but also because with Austin Proc moving to the world of Nitro Funny Car, we kind of lost, if you will, a top fuel dragster out of the John Force Racing camp. Now, that means the replacement of that dragster in the field, anyway, kind of moves over to Billy Torrance if he is, in fact, going to run the majority, if not the entire season. Uh, There are still some questions out there, and again, these are not crucial questions, but they're ones we're kind of waiting for answers on that include what the plans are for Jasmine Salinas in 2024. Is it going to be a full season? Is it a partial season? How many races is she actually going to run in her top field dragster? Of course, our fingers are crossed that it's a full season, but until the team makes an official announcement, we don't actually know. Um, Some questions have popped up since the Austin Proc interview regarding What's going to happen over the course of the season? Will Robert get back into the car in 2024? And from all my conversations and from what I've learned, the answer is no. Uh, The answer is that for a team that will be uh, hoping to contend for a championship, it doesn't make sense to start the season with a driver and then a handful of months later place another driver in that car and kind of reset the program, reset the ability to do the best job to get into the countdown in the right spot, kind of upset the apple cart regarding the points. So that is why, in my estimation or my understanding, 
Robert Height will remain out of the seat for the entirety of the 2024 campaign, but he does plan on getting back in 2025. Some of those questions we'll be asking of Eddie Krawick. Um, he did not say the R word. There was no retirement in Eddie Krawick's announcement that he was going to become a full-time crew chief and stay off of the motorcycle permanently or a motorcycle permanently. We know he's staying with the Vance and Hines team, but I'm interested to kind of quiz Eddie a little bit and find out you know, really exactly what, uh, as much as he can tell us anyway, what the plans are for the foreseeable future regarding him as far as being a rider. Other than that, it has been hammered down for all these teams creating um, their you know offseason content. If you follow the teams on social media, you're seeing a lot of posts in that regard, but also uh, getting the work done to prepare themselves to get things kicked off for the NHRA Mission Foods Drag Racing Series in Gainesville. Testing will begin to ramp up in earnest in February uh, at Gainesville and, of course, other places, so it's going to be fun to watch either some of these new teams get themselves figured out going to be interesting to see how drivers like tony stewart come out of the gate in terms of even making test runs and getting themselves acclimated caught up with a couple of the top field crew chiefs this week on some of my own curiosity regarding the new front end rules and some of you may be familiar with this some of you may not but the uh, chassis spec has changed for top fuel so the front of the car has to move to a thicker 058 wall tubing which in theory will stiffen the car up now, one of the things I was interested in to find out was what the weight difference would be. Now, the difference in the tubing is about 8 pounds, 8 to 10 pounds. So that's uh, minimal, if you will. The twist action of figuring out how to make the chassis work will be the hard part for these crew chiefs to figure out. Now, more forgiving in the cooler races, perhaps less forgiving in the warm weather races. And that's going to be where I think we're going to start to see some differences in performance once we get to those warmer races as teams continue to refine their tune-up for this chassis that will flex less now race cars as we know the stiffer you make them the more efficient they are of getting the power down so will the cars actually pick up performance once they figure it out as with a stiffer chassis or will they slow down some with less flex all that remains to be seen i think one of the other things to talk about in top fuel is the fact that now everybody has to have fresh air on board previously it was only the cars that had the canopy needed a full fresh air system now even the open top cars need it that is about a total of 30 to 50 pounds additional weight that will go into those cars. So that 30 to 50 pounds will have to either come out of other areas or the teams will work to refine their tune-ups and rebalance their cars with the additional fresh air systems that have to be added again. The open top cars never needed them in top fuel. Now everybody has to have it. And uh, part of the result of what we saw, the big uh, you know cockpit-style fire, we saw Spencer Hyde, uh, suffer and we've seen several of those over the years so rules makers made the decision that now all top fuel drivers must have fresh air in their cars whether it is an open or closed cockpit style machine that's kind of what i know coming out of the week if you will between the last show and this show a note though there will be no show next week as i'll be out in the west coast working with some of our nhra colleagues getting some stuff ready in the off season so i'll be away from the microphone in our luxurious home studio to get another show produced next week but i'll be back the week after that we'll be right back on the gas so that's what i know that's the monologue and the first guest on this show coming up next will be eddie krawick so don't go anywhere coming up next in the nhra insider eddie krawick the big newsmaker from last week in the world of nhra mission foods drag racing stay with us all right, we are back with our first guest here in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, the biggest newsmaker of the last week in drag racing, which is saying something because it's been a busy offseason. Eddie Krawick, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing good. So uh, we got a lot to talk about here, man. Um, 
you know, I, I think the first thing to talk about is is obviously the fact that Richard Gadsden comes into the Vance and Hines program, and for the second time in as many years, uh, your team has made the decision to to put talent uh, ahead of somebody showing up with a big paycheck. I mean, I think this is a very cool trend. Yeah, you know, um, I, I guess that's a good point to bring up, and I think you know, as looking back years ago. Uh, when when we were running the Harley Davidson program here, Terry Terry brought me aboard. You know, I was that guy. Brought nothing but um, <laughs> what I'd like to say is a little bit of skill. I, I definitely I've learned a lot, and these guys over here have taught me a lot. So um, I'm very grateful for that and for being in that position. But you know, it, it is it's an interesting way of looking at it because for us. Uh, we just want to win. Yeah. You know, it's more about winning, having uh, what I'd like to say is not a steep learning curve. Yeah. Being able to get somebody that can get on the motorcycle and do the job right away. And, uh, you know, uh, have we had offers for the ride? Absolutely. When people heard last year there were rumblings and, sure. you know, we were kind of talking. I was looking at getting off the motorcycle. But, you know, Andrew and I always, you know, we – we were a great team together and we're yes. still a great team together and we're just now side by side with laptops. But, um, it's, it, it was an interesting thing because we both always said, man, when the opportunity comes to get off these motorcycles, we're going to take them. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, why would you want to get off the bike? And, you know, there, there's a lifespan to it. Um, the traveling puts a toll on you. The racing puts a, puts a yeah. stress level on you, everything. And just having the opportunity to, uh, find the right replacements. And, uh, man, when Gage came aboard, I think we both would agree <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> Andrew's found the right replacement. Uh, <laughs> damn kid, I'm telling you. Um, but he, uh, he impressed everybody, yeah. you know, and, um, we really think, you know, Richard Gaston can come aboard and, and do about the same thing. You know, he's he's a phenomenal racer. He's seasoned by no means is Richard new to racing. Oh, absolutely. He's new to, he's new to NHRA racing, you know, and uh, I, I I said in uh, in an interview with the NHRA side when they came here the other day and we were doing a, a shop tour that, you know, in the beginning of this whole deal, nobody knew Gage Herrera. They're like, who's Gage Herrera? But yeah. in the motorcycle world, everybody knew him. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of the same way with Richard. So I just think the opportunity to bring new blood into this sport is what everybody has to do, all categories. So, um, you know, we, we need those fans. We need crossover fans from the outlaw world, from wherever it may be. Yeah. We need those fans to come and watch NHRA drag racing. Yeah, and, and, you know, you said a couple things in there I want to explore a little bit, but one of the funny things is at the the at the SEMA show, um, we sat down on the NHRA stage, and, and unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize that this was kind of a top-secret deal that, you know, Richard had made some <laughs> runs. So Richard had made some runs on Monday at Vegas, right? And and I had heard that or whatever, and, and I brought it up on the stage, and I thought you were about to strangle me with a microphone cord. I was like, whoops. <laughs> it, it looked like somebody had touched a 220, uh, a bare 220 wire to your foot. I was like, uh-oh, I guess, we're not, I guess we're not going down this road quite yet <laughs> no it, you know it, it 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 wasn't a secret that's yeah. why we did it we did yeah. it in the open because we wanted everybody to see and yeah. we weren't like we weren't trying to play it as like this deal never happened right. um right but but all this stuff does need to follow a protocol and i totally respect it, that you know it can't just yeah, be really i mean we, we just looked at it as if you start talking about it back then the yeah. splash 
definitely gets reduced. This yeah. has probably been, uh, I don't want to say the worst kept secret, but one of yeah. the, the worst kept secrets, you know, because we weren't trying to hide it. We, we, were, we were just trying to put all our ducks in a row, get prepared. I mean, we didn't know if we offered Richard a deal, maybe he would have said no. Sure. And then we would have looked like we had egg on our face. So, yeah. um, but it's exciting. You know, Richard's coming aboard. He's going to work at the shop. He's, he's going to work on the motorcycles. He's going to be involved with the program. Um, just like Gage was. Gage is more of a, what I'd like to say is a contracted rider. Yeah. Uh, Gage still has a day job. He's, he's a pipe fitter, welder, and does a lot of stuff out in the field. And, um, you know, he's, he's got a great opportunity. Richard wanted to be involved in motorsports and have that opportunity. So, uh, we, we saw that as a, uh, as a plus, especially when, when a guy wants to work on a motorcycle and be involved in a program. So it's uh, it'll be a great deal for everybody. You know, back in the day that you talked to some of the old guys that raced in the sixties or whatever, the guys that were the professional drivers of their era, one of the phrases they use at the t- they talked about at the time was that, you know, back then a driver got screwed into the seat and then he got screwed out of the seat. And <laughs> um and and it's so rare in any form of racing to have this kind of like, you know, peaceful transfer of power that you've gone through and Andrew's gone through. And I guess something you mentioned, I wanna ask how this plays in are you better able to make this decision because you were in the same spot as a Richard Gadsden, meaning that um, you didn't roll up in there. And and like you said, you didn't roll up in there and just jump on the bike because you bought the seat. You were recognized in the same way he's been recognized. So does that make this a little bit of an easier call for you? For sure. That's a hundred percent. I think the truth, because when you, when you look at it from an outsider, um, I did it the first year, like Gage, where I was kind of a contracted rider. I was still a, a GM at, at a drag strip and yeah. flew into racetracks. And, you know, at English Town, I, I was working during the week, doing everything, jump on a plane for the weekend and go to my race and come back. Um, Terry had asked me, he said, hey, you know, do you have interest to come into work at the shop? And, you know, here I am, uh, just turned 30, basically, and uh, I'm I'm at that point in life that it's like, well, I can make this decision and it wouldn't affect me if it went stray in two or three years. Yeah. Here I am 16 years later, you know, <laughs> involved at the shop pretty, pretty heavily. We do a lot of stuff here and, um, it, it, I've made a career out of it yeah. and, and, you know, I have no regrets. Um, looking forward, I want to, I want to think and say that opportunity needs to be passed along to others. Um, and if I'm one of the pieces in the puzzle that helps that happen, uh, I I mean, Terry really, he came to Andrew and I and said, you know, who, who do we think? And Andrew and I both looked at each other and we had the same, you know, answer. It would be Richard, you know, and we we were like, he's skilled, he's talented, he's, he's well-spoken. He can do, I think, everything we need him to do. Um, you know, so for that opportunity to get passed off to him, you know, I said it puts a smile on my face because I, I, I really think it's bringing new talent and blood into it, just like Vance and Hines did for me 16 years ago. And you know what the plus is? He's actually like from New Jersey originally. So, <laughs> so you guys know. get each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like there's a little unspoken Northeastern talk there. <laughs> it's good. You know, had the Gage Herrera. I'm not going to say experiment. Had the Gage Gage Herrera hire not gone even half as good as it went, does this happen? Does this does this second road get explored? 
You know, that's a great question because you, you know why? I would say because I would probably be the 2024, 2023 Pro Stock Motorcycle <laughs> Champion rolling in right. 24 with a number one on my bike. Because I had a great motorcycle. I had, I felt I raced well. I yeah. did everything. Earlier in the year, I struggled a little bit with hitting a tree just because the clutch setup wasn't right and everything wasn't right. But uh, I'd say I got my act a little bit better together sure. going into the countdown. Um, but it also brings me to where I would have probably said I was done with the number one plate and went out on top. Yeah. Um, that was my goal. I said, if I could get this number one plate, I told Drew, I said, just get the number one plate and be done. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, going out with a number two plate isn't as bad to a kid that literally steamrolled the whole entire damn class for the whole season long and made us all look like amateurs. Then, <laughs> then, I guess. I mean, I'm going to say I was part of the Gage Herrera era. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You got. To, <laughs> I was yeah. a casualty to it. <laughs> you know, the Gadsden family has such great legacy in motorcycle drag racing. Uh, Richard's uncle, Ricky, of course, a legend in his own right, and a guy who, you know, accomplished so much. Um, how much of and, – and listen, Ricky Ricky was a, a guy who had a very sharp tongue. Like, he's from that era. Like, this is a guy who made his bone street racing in Philly and then went on to do such great things. How much of Ricky – I believe it's Richard's uncle. How much of Ricky lives in, in Richard? Um, you know, I've known Ricky for a really long time. And to be truthful, Ricky's actually the one that um, got me into drag racing, 600 Supersport, which is where I started cut my teeth in it. Um, I rented a bike from Ricky back in 1997, I believe it was. Wow. Or, so it was 1997. I rented a 600 super sport bike from Ricky and ran and at Atco at my first race in September. Um, and then, uh, went from there. I really would say they're, they're not cut the same. They're two yeah. different people. Um, the reason why I would say that is I, I think Richard's path is way different than Ricky's. Sure. Um, R Richard kind of came up a, a different way where Richard was scraping it together on, yeah. on programs. Ricky put together, I mean, it, it's no argument that back in the day in the, in the early 2000, late nineties, I mean, Ricky became the Kawasaki guy and, and put together a really good program and went racing. Richard was kind of like, he was kind of scraping together. I remember Richard riding around the pits on his bicycle, you know, like <laughs> wishing, just dreaming he could race. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been around those guys for the sport for the whole time. And, uh, you know, I think, I think Richard is just, he's, he's a grinder. He's, yeah. uh, he, he's going after it. And the thing that I can really appreciate is, is, you know, he wasn't out there with his hand, you know, begging for rides. Yeah. Um, uh, this kind of came to him. I think he was a little shocked by it, but you know, there's, there's been comments for years on, you know, what people think and who would ever have the opportunity to be on the seat and who want it, who wouldn't want it or who would, would do it and things like that. But you know, when, when Vance Hines calls it, I think you're going to kind of listen and your ears are going to perk up a little bit. And listen, he, and that NHRA.com video, which I recommend anybody listening or watching, go check out. Um, he admitted that he thought he blew it. And, and you yeah. know, my I, I respect Richard a lot. I mean, yeah, I respect Richard a ton because of the fact that I knew, you know, a guy like him that was showing up, and, and I'm not 
defaming anybody he was racing with, but he was showing up on stuff that was well beneath his caliber as a rider, but he was showing up because he wanted to be out here and he wanted to do it so bad. If he'd given the guy a mini bike, he would have showed up and tried to qualify it. But he talked about going to Dallas, and that, and that Dallas weekend for him was just a disaster, and he said he was embarrassed, and, and he thought that he had blown the shot. Um, did he mention that to you guys after after the secondary level of conversations began here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said it Saturday <laughs> night of Dallas. He was in the trailer like, oh my God, I screwed this whole deal up. I look like an idiot. I didn't even get out of the water box. You know, listen, Andrew and I are racers, and the one thing that I can appreciate about this is Richard did what I did uh, in the beginning. Now, I was in a little bit more of a fortunate situation. For me to, I knew for me to get involved in pro stock motorcycle, I needed to get a bike. I needed to show up in the class. There weren't really rental programs back in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, so for me, I went out, I actually bought one of Dave Schultz's. Uh, when Dave passed away, I had got Dave Schultz's motorcycle. Wow, okay. Uh, he was built. He was in the middle of building Hayabusa, and uh, he passed away. I got it when, as soon as the bike was finished. Uh, I purchased it uh, through a, a third party. Uh, Brian, his son Brian, actually rode my bike in Indy in 2003, qualified for the race, wow. and then um, unfortunately, Brian and I were were kind of teaming up to put a deal together for 2004. And unfortunately, Brian, Brian got killed in a, in a tragic car accident and, uh, you know, forced me to go out and do this on my own and because I wanted it. Um, I knew somebody wasn't going to just give it to me. So when I went out on my own, did it in 2004, I I ran a couple races, bought a motor from Vance and Hines and uh, went racing and, and learned myself. And that's really what got me involved. Because uh, when I threw my, my name got actually thrown into the hat for the ride at Vance and Hines by Kevin McKenna. And uh, I'll, I'll always be thankful for him to do it because he said, hey, you guys, know, and it, it basically in the room, the only person that it caught was Matt and Andrew because both of them knew me. And uh, they knew me from coming to the races as well as from the sportsman side of it. Um, But, you know, Terry and, you know, Harley and all the people, powers to be at that time were like, I don't know who that is. So (laughs) we did our bike idol program. They got four of us together. And uh, luckily I got the, I got the ride. Everybody said I was the one that performed the best. So it it was really cool to do and kind of did the same thing with Richard, you know, when he went out. He's not going to tell anybody, but the first run on my bike, he takes off in Vegas. Thing leaves good, no problem, and it doesn't shift. And he comes back and he goes, "I didn't put the shift the the I didn't pull the clip out of the shifter." And he's like, "That's another one." He's like, "I just screwed this up." I'm like, "Just <laughs> reboot, bud." Yeah, I said, "You're stressing. You're just do yeah. what you know how to do." Yeah. And he got on the motorcycle next pass, went right down the track, and then ran two or three hundreds quicker than me on the last run and we were like we saw it we're good everything will be, be in good shape here you know McKenna's a second guest on this show so I'm gonna have to get his uh, I'm gonna have to get his side oh. of that story as well so that, okay, that works well, out that's perfect it works out pretty well um you, you know I'm wondering how the first conversation between you and Terry or you, Terry and Andrew went on this front. And obviously it was not something that was like confrontational or angry because this was going along very well. But when was that first approach made? Cause obviously it wasn't at Vegas or it wasn't at Dallas. When was this whole kind of wheel beginning to turn internally at Vance and Hines? Well, here's a question. Are we limited on time on this deal? No. 
Okay, perfect. So, all right. Well, I'll, I'll give you the, the short story, the, the, the short long story. <laughs> so anyway, Terry asked me about three years ago if I was ready to get off the bike with, with, uh, when kind of Andrew got off and then we were like, okay, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I only want to race another year or two. I'm like, I, I I don't want to do this forever. I just want to be part of the team and part of the program. That's what I want to do. So, you know, Andrew and I, we start scoping and we start looking and obviously I, I I saw, I saw, you know, that was right after we were just kind of talking about gauge and, you know, I don't know if Andrew told the whole story, but we really never told Terry about gauge. We told Terry we were testing on Monday in Vegas, but we didn't tell Terry that we were testing Gage Herrera. And uh, so we, we put Gage on my bike and everything. We're sitting down at lunch on Tuesday at SEMA with Terry, and uh, we're just BSing. And he's like, so what's going on? How'd testing go? We were like, oh, pretty good. Uh, you know, we put this kid Gage on our bike. Who? And he's like, well, you did what? And so it was like me and Andrew had that thought like, well, let's just ask for forgiveness yeah. rather than ask for permission. So he did that, and obviously that all worked out. So, you know, it was towards the middle part of this year, uh, you know, I kind of had that feeling like I'm just, now that we got the guy we thought yeah. we got the guy, now it's time to get the next guy. And, uh, you know, that's where Andrew and I started talking. We had conversations, and Terry's like, he basically asked me if I'm going to do this another year. And I'm like, I said, I'm, I said, I'm okay. I'm content with this. I said, do I want to get 50? Sure I do. But if I don't, I'm not going to be upset. Cause Terry's like, well, you know, we could always put you on a bike for Gainesville or something like that. And I'm like, eh, I, I, if, if we're, if we're going to do this, we need to do it right. At least for the first half of the year here and get everybody uh, a fair shake. So, you know, we started thinking about it, and then that's when Richard popped on the scene, and we, we kind of thought. There was, there was two or three other people, but we really wanted to get somebody that was riding like Gage, that was about the size of Gage, sure. and that overall was about the whole package because, really, I don't know if we're going to miss a beat with putting Richard on the bike because we have all Gage's notes. We have everything there, and uh, just by the three runs that, that Richard made on the motorcycle – it showed us the whole entire direction of where we need to go. So I think we're going to be in good shape. That's, I mean, that's really how yeah. it came about. And we just started talking and, uh, Terry, Terry was very receptive. I mean, he, he didn't really know much of Richard, but he, uh, he knew who he was because he threw sure. him out there two or three times. And it was more about personality and making sure he wouldn't conflict with gauge Andrew, myself, anybody, and I think when you, when you have sit down with Richard, you'll get a uh, a pretty good sense of who he is, where he is, and how grounded the kid is. No, that's great, and you know that's such an important element of, of any team. We talk about it so often, where you know it's it's one thing to have the right parts and pieces; it's another thing to have all the brain power in the room. But but everybody really does have to work as a unit. And you can introduce a you can introduce a, a um, not a bad apple, so to speak, but you can introduce a a part that's slightly out of round uh, that kind of throws the whole thing off. So it's neat that that was a main consideration of what you guys are trying to accomplish as well. Team dynamic and atmosphere, man, because it resonates to crew guys. It goes to everybody. And if you can get, like you said, everybody firing on all eight, or for us, all four, <laughs> right. um, it, if, if you can get everybody firing on all cylinders and like just be unison, man, it just, this year, our pit atmosphere, everything was so good. Now, it doesn't 
you know, it doesn't hurt that you're you're out there kicking butt and oh, you're yeah. doing well. Sure. But it's when you go through the bad times that you need to really like really understand that everybody is pulling the rope the same direction. So now if we talk about you in a in a really dedicated crew chief role here, um, how is the kind of division of labor when we talk about, you know, how this team's gonna operate? Will you be solely, you know, on Richard's bike? Will Andrew solely be on Gage's bike? Talk to me about the actual kind of machinations of this. Well, the great thing is is Andrew's kind of the one that taught me let's just say everything on the tuning element side of it. You know, so I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from Matt as well. And, you know, sitting between both of those guys for years. Um, and then once Matt was gone, Andrew was the one that kind of worked with me on my motorcycle, you know, every run all the time. So we think a lot alike. Mm-hmm. Um, we may not speak the same, right. but we think a lot alike. And, um, we've done interesting tests where Andrew goes on one side of the trailer. I go on the other and by the end of the weekend, but when we go back to Q1, you look at our maps and nothing the same, but when you overlay the data, they're identical and you look at it and you say, Oh, well, that's interesting. I see how you got there doing it this way instead of this way. And he's never like, that's the wrong way of doing it. But, um, like even all through last year, uh, you know, Andrew was relying on some of my notes or I was relying on some of his notes. So we, we work really well together. I I think, uh, you know, there's no such thing as we're going to just cover laptops up and say that's yours and this is mine because the way we view this is if we make both motorcycles go down the track, solid runs for four sessions, we have eight runs of data. Um, we always ran like that and we always had a plan going into what I'd like to say each qualifying session that uh, helped us each find a direction. Uh, What we pride ourselves in is trying to be really good off the truck, and I think we do that a lot of the times. And when we do that, it allows us to do other things in qualifying that, you know, usually you wouldn't try. It kind of just answers questions for yourself. Sure. Uh, The big adjustment, I think, for me is going to be on the tuning side where I'm not actually feeling it going down the track. Yeah, you're going to want it translated back to you, right? Or or as best as you can. Exactly. Yep, yep. So Richard, I think, will segue into that, and I think he's going to be really good at it. That was one of the things Gage really did well with uh, throughout the year on improving, and by the middle part of the year, that's why his bike was as good as it was because Andrew was able to get that thing into a window that every run it was good. Um, you know, so we're going to work on that with Richard and I, I think we'll get there relatively quick with him. Uh, and for me, I, I think I just need to focus on, on the laptop on my bike and on, and on Gage's bike. And Andrew's going to focus on the laptop on Gage's bike and my bike and, and, and Richard's yeah. bike. So, it's, it's like we're a team effort. We're going to work together. Um, you know, we are involved in helping a couple other people out sure. there as well. Um, another, you know, dynamic to it all, and we'll segue, I guess, into that, is we are looking to do possibly some rental bikes throughout the year. Uh, maybe we'll do a uh, – we're talking like it would be great to get one full-time guy and one part-time guy. Uh, if it's something that people have interest in. Now, we're not going to just give away a seat, but we're going to have two championship-caliber bikes that we're building right now that will be available. One will either be for sale or for rental purposes, and, um, you know, go from there. 
So if it comes down to it, you know, we could be tuning three, four motorcycles any given weekend. And, you know, just being a, a the, the thinking guy that I am, uh, if you're going to roll some rental bikes out there, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have a, you know, maybe a display rider every once in a while show just how good those rental bikes are, right? That's, that's, that's correct. And <laughs> I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I mean, the, the, you know, I, I'm all for changes and safety and things like that. You know, they, NHRA did some rules safety stuff yep. for just the leathers and things like that. If that didn't come into effect, it would probably make it a lot easier for me to jump on one. Yeah. Um, because then I'd have leathers, I'd have everything sitting there. So I don't know. I got to weigh that out and see, you know, it, would it hurt having a set of leathers in the truck? No, God forbid something ever happened to, right. to somebody that will, will you know, preclude them from showing up on Sunday. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it would open the door or an opportunity to go out there. And, you know, we, we might do that. I don't know, but ideally we'd love to rent one of the motorcycles to, uh, to somebody to come out into the class. And again, it's, Right now, we're viewing this as we got to get some new blood out here. We got to get new riders. We got to get new people to help grow the class, the category, the sport. And look, I guess the last point I'll bring up, and I think we chatted about this in a previous interview, like last year or something, but, you know, we saw and continue to see in the Pro Mod class really an identical situation as to what's going on in pro stock motorcycle where you know the the path into nhra pro mod really has turned into a lot of guys that are outlaw racers have have now come in there whether it's the jr grays of the world um you know obviously stevie fast jackson really led the charge there lyle barnett and others and now the you know that that natural path into pro stock motorcycle largely because of the work that you've been doing guys like joey gladstone and others is coming off of these these no bar bikes i mean that seems to be the way to go now yeah you know before the breeding ground was really we called it the super sport category 600 super yeah. sport 1000 super sport that was the whole 2000 through 2010 era where everybody kind of that made their way into pro stock motorcycle came out of that um through the mid 2010 through 2015 those classes went away and there wasn't really a breeding ground or a uh you know let's just say a segue or a yeah. path to get there and now it's kind of showing the pro street guys i mean listen the pro street guys are going faster than the pro stock motorcycle <laughs> right. um yeah. but when you break it down yeah. it's two completely different motorcycles yeah. riding styles everything and um you know for a pro stock motorcycle everybody used to like everybody used to think that let's just say it's um you had to be in a certain click to get here gotcha is, is the gotcha. way i'm gonna say it you know and um i think that's furthest from the truth there's a lot of guys in pro mod in in pro street and yeah. some other classes that are all talking about building bikes and wanting to come out um so we're excited i i think there's good progress for the next few years in this category you know there's there's going to be some cool, innovative stuff. And unfortunately, with that cost go up, everything goes up. And yeah. that's where the struggles come into it. Absolutely. Um, you know, but what it costs to build a Pro Street motorcycle nowadays, you're going to spend hundred grand, no problem, to build one. Wow. Um, we, we all know gas is gas. No matter where you're traveling to, that's the cost. You know, and hotels are the same. So um, it's, it's going to be fun. I think these next few years, we, we really just need to work on the growth side of it. And, uh, NHRA with mission coming aboard and, Huge. um, 
Camping World still staying involved. Revzilla with you guys, big deal. Yeah, I mean, they had the Revzilla deal now coming out. I mean, that's a that's a two year deal with us. So, um, you know, there's lots of bright things in the future. I think it's up to us to just grab a hold of it and run. And with that, Eddie Craywick, thank you very much for taking the time, man. It's a great story, and and certainly. Um, to me, it's a great story because it's so often it's like, well, this guy got screwed and the sponsor got taken away, and now what the hell's going on? And this is the opposite of that. It's like it's legitimate forward progress and growth in the class, and um, I'm excited to watch it, man. I'm always excited to see a young guy like Richard Gadsden get a shot. I'm going to have him on the show in a couple of weeks, but uh, it's going to be fun, man. Thank you for taking the time. No, not a problem. It's, it's great coming on. Always chatting with you is a, is a good thing. And make sure you talk to Kevin about that. We'll be coming <laughs> right back with that. Eddie Craywick, the master of the segue during this interview. When we come back, yes, man, Eddie, uh, rather Kevin McKenna will be the next guest on this show. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Eddie Craywick was like the guy who was predicting the future because, yes, indeed, Kevin McKenna, our second guest on the show, the senior editor of National Dragster Magazine. What's going on, Kevin? Oh, not much. It's actually about 44 days till we get our nationals. So I think we're all watching the calendar and uh, waiting for the season to start. So I have to go into this first because Eddie brought it up completely unprovoked. Um, you know, we talked about his his initial um, hiring, if you will, by the Vance and Hines team a decade and a half ago now. And he credited you specifically with being the guy that brought his name up in front of the likes of, of Terry Vance and others. So, so what's the genesis of that story? Uh, interesting. Um, just there was a rider change at Vance and Hines yeah, about 15 years ago when they had the Harley program, and uh, I was on the phone with Terry Lance, and I said, "Terry, who who are you going to put on that bike?" And he said, "Honestly, I have no idea. Do you have any suggestions?" And uh, I said, "You know, I really like Eddie Graywick, and at the time, Eddie was a guy who was working as the track manager in Englishtown. Yeah, he had built his he had built his own bike." Uh, he had, uh, you know, the late Brian Schultz helping him, and, and he was just trying to make his way just to see what he could do on his own, and, and I really admired that about him because he was he was definitely swimming upstream, and uh, uh, Terry actually said, never heard of him, and so I told him the whole story. <laughs> I, 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 I told him the whole story, and I said, look, I said, I, I really think this guy has a lot of heart, and, and Terry said, well, first question, how big is he? And I said, he's not a big guy. I said, you know, he, he should be able to make weight easily. Terry didn't seem the least bit interested. And then about two hours later, he called me and he said, what was that guy's name again? <laughs> and, and I told him, I said, Eddie Craywick, he said, can you get a hold of him? I said, yes. He said, tell him to get me a resume, and I don't mean next week. So I, I called Eddie. He was working at the track in Englishtown. I said, look, you got an opportunity in front of you you know, tonight, put together a resume, email it to him, uh, to, to, to Vance and Hines. And, uh, about a week later, he called me and he says, Hey, I have an audition. They're going to let me, uh, go to Georgia and ride the bike and we'll see what happens. And, uh, yeah, uh, 49 wins and four championships later, the rest is history. And, uh, I feel pretty good about that. And, you know, Eddie's obviously been a great addition for the team and oh, yeah. uh, he, he's, you know, He's, he's very happy being there, I think, and I think they're happy with him. So uh, it's a feel-good story for all of us. You know, there's a, a quote that's um, attributed to, to Hemingway, and, and he t- it's about going bankrupt. And he said, you go bankrupt gradually and then all at once. 
And I, I want to translate that into getting younger in NHRA drag racing because it's like, you know, how do you get younger in NHRA drag racing? Well, gradually and then all at once. You know, we see Eddie stepping away. We see young Richard Gadsden getting on the seat. Tim Wilkerson gets out of his car. His son gets in the race car. Um, you know, we look at the driver changes that have been happening. Ida Zetterstrom coming over now as a as a force to be to be reckoned with, and someone who's going to develop her top fuel career. Um, Sienna uh, Wildgus coming into the world of NHRA Pro Stock, a girl in her young or woman in her young twenties. You know, this is this is a, a legitimate youth wave that's coming right now. That I'm not sure you, I, or anybody else actually recognized until it showed up. No, no, you're right. I mean, the beauty of any trade racing is that you can have a long, long career. You know, stick and ball sports, you're usually done in your late 30s. You know, even, you know, IndyCar or NASCAR, yeah. uh, it's rare to see somebody over 40 have much success. Uh, obviously, that's not the case here, but at the same time, you do want to keep the pipeline fresh with, with new faces, with something, you know, you always want a younger demographic. So it, it's good to have some talented kids coming up. And I think we have that across the board. You look at it, you know, I think pro stock, especially, you know, for years, pro stock was known as a rich old man's class. Yeah. Now you've got, you've got so many 20 and 30 somethings, uh, that it, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and, and, you know, into the bike class. Yeah. I, I, you know, Eddie, I think has, you know, he's a guy with, with a family. Um, you know, I know Eddie well enough to know that, uh, he, he wasn't necessarily looking to get off the bike, but yeah. when the opportunity when the opportunity came up, uh, there was not going to be a lot of resistance. Yeah, he um, said and, he and, said and, as much. You're right. He said he said exactly that. Yeah, and, and, and he also, um, you know, he, he understands the need to 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 make the sport younger. And uh, you know, I, I think I reminded him last time we talked. I said, you know, it, it would be great to see you get your fiftieth win. I said, but there's another guy that retired with 49 wins and four championships. Uh, his name is Don Perdome, and, and he <laughs> seems to sleep. He seems to sleep just fine at night, you know. You're right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. That's a pretty good company to be in. Um, obviously, yeah. obviously, you know, you mentioned Perdome, so we should talk a little bit of Funny Car here. And you know, the more I, the more I spend time, kind of knocking the Austin Proc story around my brain and, and considering its implications, the bigger it continues to seem to me. And not to say that the guy was was lost in the mix in Top Fuel, but in some ways he was. You know, to me. This is Austin Proc, and, and he knows it too, but it's this golden opportunity not just for him to drive a good race car, but for him to really stand up as his own kind of star in this sport. He's never really had that chance in Top Fuel. No, it, it's interesting. When, when he made his debut, in fact, I think the first run he made where the thing was completely out of shape and he saved it, and you thought, wow, this kid has some real talent. Um, over the next two, three years, you saw some flashes of brilliance. You know, the win in Seattle, the win last year in Charlotte. And you kind of thought, all right, is this the trigger where he's going to take off and yeah. really do some special things? Um, I, you know, it might well just be the nature of Top Fuel is so competitive right now that yeah. it's hard for any one driver or any one team to gain too much momentum. You know, you might have three, four good races, but the rest of the field is going to catch up. Um, it, Funny Car is probably a little less... Uh, savage in, in that respect. It is. So, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's in, inarguably, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, to, to get in a car as good as uh, the one that Robert Hyde is, is temporarily getting out of, uh, yeah, I, I hope that everyone over there recognizes, as you just said, 
This is a golden opportunity to do something really special, to join in a, a pretty exclusive list of, uh, uh, you know, racers that have won in both Top Fuel and Funny Car. Um, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be nice to see him uh, not going out uh, fairly early in the season. I agree with that. And it, it would really kind of, in the event that happens, it really cements this idea in that we're not just talking about this because it's Austin Proc driving for Robert Height. We're talking about this because that we could, you know, we could we could actually watch something pretty magical happen here with a, a father and a brother tuning their family member to, to this to this type of success. Um, you know, in your you know, in your experience, in your estimation, let's let's put it even over the last five to ten years, where do you put this off season? Oh, uh, it's it's right up there with uh some of the more active, um, you know, it didn't start out, uh, you know, we knew last October, November that there were certain things that were going to happen, yeah. but I don't think anybody predicted the amount of movement. You know, if you'd have told us back in, in Pomona at the finals that, you know, that Tim Wilkerson, Eddie Craig, Robert Hyde, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> Lea, Lea w- would not be racing in Gainesville. Uh, you know, number one, you might've thought the world was coming to an end, right? but, but then, but then you see, all of those seats are filled and you know there's an interesting story i think that goes with each one um and again the, the, the number of new teams coming in you know there, there's a couple of things you know i think every team out here would like to expand yes um, you know I, I would love to see a little more of that you know it, it would be great if one of the established teams says hey we're adding a second or a third car um, and look and, I, I, to your point not to interrupt you but to your point we know that antron has aspirations to do that uh, mm-hmm. We've been told that Bob Tasca has ap- uh, aspirations to do that. We know that mm-hmm. Joe Maynard wants to do that, and that's just three. And so, yes, yeah, yeah and I just wanted to clear, like, make sure people understand that it's not just wishful thinking. Like these are things that have been, if not publicly stated, very, very firmly privately stated on those lines. Sure, and and you know, it's you look at all the good things that are happening in the sport right now. The fact that TV ratings are at an all-time high, attendance, you know, any event that isn't plagued by weather. Any uh, trade does really well and sells a lot of tickets, and those things are moving the needle as far as sponsorships. Um, you know, it, it's never been easy to sell a sponsorship. No, but 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 it, it, at this point, it certainly isn't as difficult as it might have been five or ten years ago. <laughs> so uh, it's just hopeful that uh, you know, as things progress, and, and hopefully we have another great season that. You know, some of those things actually happen, and you know, you bring in a brand new sponsor and launch a new team. Uh, that that would be something that I would really like to see. Uh, you know, here during the twenty twenty four season. Yeah, and to me, that's the type of thing. You know, the success begatting success. Like once somebody actually does make the move, and once somebody does, you know, get a deal put together to have a full time, you know, second car that brings in maybe a new uh, sponsor, a new business into the sport. You know, it it's it's. It's like so many things in drag racing. We look at we look at racers. Um, we look at guys that have raced for years. Scotty Polachek's a great example, right? Scotty Polachek mm-hmm. just tried to beat his head against the wall, made all those finals and didn't win. Then he wins one and he reels off victories. And I think so much of it translates to other parts of drag racing. So many of these teams want to add the second car. When somebody actually makes the move and does it, it's it's not going to be the only one. It's like once that first thing drops, other people run right in behind him. Yeah, uh, and, and, and we have talked. Uh... You know, you and I have talked quite a bit about uh, what we call the Stewart effect. Yeah. You know, with Tony, with Tony Stewart being over here, and especially now that he will be driving in the Premier Division. Yes. Um, 
uh, what sort of new eyeballs does that bring on the sport? And and also, do, do other team owners, maybe from NASCAR or IndyCar or uh, even just someone that's maybe a businessman looking to invest, do, do they not take a serious look at, at, at the NHRA mission series and say, you know, that's where I want to be, and, and maybe come out and look at some opportunities to either start their own team or partner with an existing team um, to, to bring in some new money and, so, and some new enthusiasm. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that the we've seen not internally, but maybe externally to the world, we've had kind of like the soft launch of the Stewart effect, right? We've had him in the ownership mm-hmm. role and then racing the top alcohol dragster was success. And so it's it's been in a couple of interesting phases to me. It's not just like he didn't roll in there and jump at a top fuel dragster, which I know a lot of us, myself included, kind of in the back of our mind wanted that. Right. I think I think all of us in our mind when he was when we knew he was coming, we're like, oh, man, I hope he just gets in a race car. And he didn't. And honestly, it's for the best because we've gotten this progression of involvement, this progression of attention, this progression of scrutiny, if you will, on this guy that hasn't even peaked yet. I mean, and it's not going to, it's not, and, and listen, God forbid the guy's in a, in a title run at the end of the year, then we're really going to see what this is all about. You know? Yeah, and, and there's actually no reason to think he won't be in a title run right. at the end of the year. I mean, obviously his talent is still pretty much off the charts. Um, I mean, he does need to, you know, driving a top field dragster, as he will tell you, is yep. a totally different animal than anything he's done. Yep. Um, but, you know, he's getting in a car that came within yeah. a, a few thousandths of a second of winning the World <laughs> Championship last year. Right. Uh, I don't think you could say the car is, is you know, going to be the issue. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think it's it would be fantastic for the sport for him to be all year, you know, in the top five battling and get to the countdown and uh, have an honest to goodness shot at, uh, at doing it. And I think we're all, we'd all be better off for that. One last topic for I want to hit you on before I let you go is, um, you know, the Jake Coffin return to pro stock. In a normal year, Jake Coughlin returning to pro stock, which of course has not happened what once, five, once, twice, or five times now, but that would be one of the premier headlining stories. And not to say that it's not a big story, but Jake coming back into pro stock full time has not necessarily been the front page news of the last several weeks. So, do you think the guy relishes that a little bit? And and honestly, is there any reason we shouldn't think that Jake is going to be as dangerous and and good as he has been throughout his career in that class? But, I, mean, I mean, Jake has never been someone to seek the spotlight, so so I'm sure he's just fine flying under the radar. Yeah. Uh, and, and secondly, if you looked at him, we got a small sampling last year. The guy had been out of a pro stock car for three years, comes back, and, and, and I think he ran five or six elimination rounds uh, at the end of the year. And I think his worst light was a 40. <laughs> yeah, I think and, you're right. Yeah. And, and a couple times he was, you know, teens and 20s, so, so obviously he, he still has what it takes. Uh the elite team will undoubtedly give him competitive power. Uh, I, you know, what, what, why don't you just go ahead and pencil him in for <laughs> right. what? Uh, you know, three, three wins. Yeah, and, I mean, it's a, a there's no way. There's no way this guy. There's no way this guy wins less than three races. I agree with you. No way. No, no. And, and, and look at his history. You know, here's a guy who uh, historically his qualifying results are generally never spectacular. Yeah. You know, for, for, for the number of wins he has versus the number of times he's qualified number one, uh, he, he does more with less than anyone out there ever. Um, 
and and you know I think given the nature of pro stock these days where you know you've got a dozen cars that legitimately could win a race maybe even 16 if you get the right you know one of those fields that's right hundreds from, from from top to bottom um you know Joe has won from the number 16 spot before and it wasn't because four guys red lighted against him right. it's because, it, it's because he's just that darn good um and, and, and yeah, I think uh, the rest of the class has got a problem on their hands. Well, man, it's uh, it's all coming together really well. You know, I think uh, you've heard it internally. I've heard it internally that uh, the Gator Nationals pre-sale is even outpacing last year, which was kind of a record deal. So, um, you know, uh, so much of this energy that we keep talking about on the insider that you keep reporting on for National Dragster and NHRA.com is translating to the greater public and that greater public is as uh, interested and as excited as seeing it as we are when the rubber meets the road in Gainesville. So uh, it's going to be an awesome, uh, what, 44 days you said, right? We're, we're going to chip them yeah, down. And, and, They're going to go quick. Sure. And, and, and if, first of all, if you were at the Gator Nationals last year, there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't come back. <laughs> right. that, 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 that was uh, as good a race as you could ever hope. It was as entertaining as the sport cats. Um, so why wouldn't you come back and why wouldn't you bring someone else? And I think, you know, again, all the things that are happening with the factory X class and, and yep. Tony Stewart and just, just everything that's, you know, there is no more complete event, uh, except for maybe the U S nationals than the Gators, you know, everything is there. The bikes are there. The alcohol cars are there. Um, it, it is the complete show and, uh, it, it's also Florida in March. Do, do you need, do you need anything else? Do you need any more reason to be there? But remember, the, the nattering nabobs of negativism uh, told the world that it was just a horrible idea to start the season in Gainesville. Worst mistake we ever made. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get that. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's interesting. We talk about the bike class specifically. You know, they have always been, you run yeah. Pomona, you run Phoenix, and then, you know, they started a month later than everyone else. Well, now... You've got everybody starting at the same time, and, and honestly, with respect to the post-op motorcycles, I think that's a good thing where they don't feel like uh, maybe they're getting left behind. Yeah, you know, th- th- there's some things going on in the bike class, you know, that we haven't even discussed. You know, Matt Smith has confirmed he's going to be a four bike team this year. Yep, um, he's he's got a, a rider that he's going to announce soon. Uh, he also told me that he's got a rider brand new to the class that he's going to train this year in the hopes of a, uh, a 2025 debut, um, you know, which again speaks to your point about the class getting younger. Yep. Uh, the, you know, so, so you've got all those things going on and uh, I, I just think there's, I can't think of a single reason why you wouldn't want to be in Gainesville the, uh, the, the second week of March. Amen to that. I know I'll see you there, and uh, it's going to be a great couple of weeks to get us set up to get there. And Kevin McKenna of National Dragster, thank you so much, sir. Uh, anytime. Happy to do it, Brian. And we are back here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. Some final thoughts from this episode with both Eddie and Kevin. I think it was great. I think it was a very fun way to dive into the uh, Richard Gadsden story. And as I mentioned with Eddie, I'm going to have Richard on the show here in the very short future. I uh, want to certainly get his side of the story as well, just Almost a perfect year ago, I spoke to Gage Herrera, and as Eddie said, it was a young man that not that many people knew that much about, and then, of course, we all know his name now after the year that he had. And for Kevin McKenna, bringing great insight from the world of NHRA's National Dragster, where he has been an editor for many, many years now, coming up on over 30 years inside the world of NHRA drag racing, the man knows of what he speaks. 
Once again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there will be no Insider Podcast next week, but we'll be back at it right after that. Any breaking news, make sure you stay on top of NHRA.com and NHRA social media channels. They'll keep you up to date on everything. And I'll be back soon on this, the NHRA Insider Podcast. Thanks again to Eddie and Kevin, and thank you very much for watching and listening to this weekly dive into the world of NHRA drag racing, which is unequivocally the biggest and baddest drag racing podcast on the internet. I'll be back soon. I'm Brian Loans.